delighted to welcome Dave Kay, Chief Operating Officer of Rail for Abellio, who has had a lifelong career in the UK transport industry and has worked with a veritable who's who of industry legends. I do hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Dave Kay, good morning and welcome to the Intuitive Insights podcast. It's an absolute joy to see you this morning. Good morning. Thanks for inviting me. It's nice to be here. No, it's my pleasure. So, Dave, in, in time-honoured Intuitive Insights podcast fashion, I'm going to ask you to go back in time um, to take me right back to the beginning of our of your career. Tell me, how did you get into the transport industry? Because we're not going to jump straight to rail. Tell me how you got into transport and talk me through where you've been, what you've done, and I'd also love to know what a week in the life of the Chief Operating Officer for Rail for Abellio looks like. Over to you. Right, thank you very much. Um, how did I get into transport? I left school at 16 and I was going to join the army, um, but I played rugby. Um, I was a pretty reasonable rugby player when I was younger. Uh, and so I wanted to play rugby for six months and then join the army. But I found a job at West Yorkshire PTEs, it was there then, um, as a traffic clerk. It was salary band six, and everybody else in, in West Yorkshire PTE was getting paid salary band nine. So I was the lowest of the low, making tea, um, filling out boring forms, sticking things in cupboards, doing various um, tasks let's say, that were interesting. But um, but that's it. And I thought, well, I'll stay six months and then I'm going to go and join the army. And to be honest, my rugby career took off. So I, I played rugby, earned a bit of money through rugby, and I worked as a bit of a hobby. I mean, don't tell me bosses because they might find me <laughs> from all the years ago. But, but it, it, you know, so I, I, I worked just to have a bit of extra beer money. Um, and then I... I I knuckled down, had a few promotions, worked my way around the operations and commercial sections. And then um, I got injured and had to stop playing at a, a good level of rugby. And I thought to myself, right, what can I do to you know, get my earnings back up there? Because you become accustomed to living to your means. Of course. So I approached a few people and said, look, I'd like to get on in this industry. I was enjoying it. I'd worked my way through the schedules department and and I, I got into uh, operations um operations is my forte because it's it's a it's a people business you're dealing with people you you know it, it's all about making things happen we run a timetable people expect us to be there and that's kind of what I like doing I like making things happen and I like seeing the end result yeah so I approached a few people and, and then along came privatization by this stage I was working in the head office in in Leeds um, privatisation came along. Um, it became Yorkshire Rider. You'd got two choices. You either go with the, the PTE, as it was then, um, or go with the, the service deliverer, which was Yorkshire Rider. And I chose to go with Yorkshire Rider. Um, happy that I did. But I managed to rise through the ranks. I'd approached a guy called Laurie English, who, who's been a big, big, um, not, not a key in my career, but yeah, you have those moments when you speak to someone and I said to Laurie, I said, look, I need some development. Would would the business sponsor me for it? And he said, yes. He said, you're the right sort of person. 
we will put you on various development courses just to add to your skill set because we think you could do a reasonably good job. Uh, And I'm thankful for that. And that's why I'm also passionate about developing my people and having graduates and senior management development, junior management development and succession planning because the business, whether you're in bus, rail, transport, it's a people business and it's all about how you develop your people to be able to deal with people. So I was fortunate there to to be able to jump on that bandwagon. So I ended up becoming um, an ops director within Yorkshire Rider. Then Badgerline came in um, and bought Yorkshire Rider. Then Grampian Regional Transport came in and and merged with Badgerline to become first bus. So we'd gone from being a a Yorkshire-based company to a a national-based company, a PLC. Um, So then I decided that I wanted to view outside Yorkshire. All my working life to that stage had been in Yorkshire. And I went across the other side to the dark side to Manchester. Um, (laughs) I became the operations director at at, at GM Buses. Um, And I worked for, uh, you know, I I worked for Ray O'Toole in Yorkshire. So when I look back at my career, I've had some pretty big, uh, powerful people that, that I've worked for and done a good job for, I might add. So I went to work for Dr. Mike because I wanted to see what it was like outside Yorkshire. Um, now, at that stage, rail had become privatised and first group or first bus, as it was, were bidding for rail franchises. Um, they didn't win that many. They won Great Eastern, but they actually bought Great Western Holdings from the man- management buyout down at uh, Great Western. Mm. Um, first, first bus bought into that. Now, Great Western, fantastic railway, always has been, always will be. But with it, they'd won the Regional Railways Northwest franchise, which was which was basically running a load of 142s across um, the, the the left side of the country, up to up to Carlisle, Barrow, Lanks and Cumbria, across to Liverpool, down to Crewe, but predominantly around Manchester Liverpool area. Um, and the business plan hadn't gone very well. Um, they they turned a five million pound projected profit into a five million pound projected loss, and my old boss Moya Lockhead didn't do loss making businesses. Yeah. So Dr. Mike Mitchell was dispatched down there to sort it out. Um, I got a phone call a couple of weeks later saying, can you come down and help us? And I said, well, I don't know anything about railways. He says, you don't need to. We know about operations. Come down. And I went down and I thought, yes, this is in need of some TLC. We need to make some improvements here. Now, in those days, cross-default applied. So first group had got Great Western making a lot of money, Mm. Great Eastern making a lot of money, Northwestern losing money. But if you breach your franchise, you lose them all. So it was it was absolutely paramount that we saved Northwestern. So myself and Dr. Mike set about the task of um, doing deals with trade unions, getting agreements, rest day working agreements. So I ended up, I was down at Aslef, rang them up and said, I'm coming down to sort this out. And they said, well, you can't. I said, you just watch me. I'll be down tomorrow. I'll see you at 10 o'clock. And I did. And they listened to me and we got the deal. Um, and we saved the franchise from breach by 22 cancellations. Now, bearing in mind, in those days, Northwestern, first Northwestern, ran 1,500 trains a day. Wow. And we saved the breach by 22 cancellations. So it was that close, that close to the wire. Wow. So I've gone in and cracked a few eggs, um, upset a lot of people. Actually, if, you, if you're changing a business, sometimes 
if you're fundamentally restructuring it, you've got to make some tough decisions. And in, that might mean upsetting some people, but I'd rather upset a few to make sure the majority come out of it, the other end okay. Yeah. So I, I'd gone down, done my in, bang, out job, thought I'm going to go back to buses now, which is what I knew. Right. And then they brought a fella called David Franks in as the MD. And um, I, I'm, I'd met David and I spoke to him and, and he said to me, he said, look, he said, I, I've been critical of a few people in this business. He said, and I need good people around me. He said, with your drive and my knowledge, we could really turn this business around. I was in the process of a divorce at that stage. And the key thing that got me was, he said, I'll pay you a bit more money. And I thought, ooh, I like the sound of that. That works. Yeah. As, a true, as, a true, as a true mercenary, I said, okay, fine, I'll stay. So I, I became his operations director. He was the MD. And we did do a, there's a great team. It was a fantastic team at First Northwestern. Mm -hmm. The people that were left, we had to part company with quite a lot of people, particularly the board. The, basically, the old board went, new board came about, great people, set up, you know, a regional structure, which worked fantastically well. Um, and, and it was a great experience. And David left to join Southern. I was promoted to be the MD. Um, we turned the business around. We, we built relationships back up with, West, uh, with Greater Manchester PTE because it was it was proper loggerhead stuff. It was that bad. Yeah. Um, so that was all built back. Uh, great company, good performance. Everything was working well. I was then moved down to Great Eastern to take over as MD from Bob Breakwell, who retired. Um, and that was a great period in my life. That was my first tour of duty in London. And, you know, Yorkshire boy, bright lights, big city. Yeah. It's, it's Marmite to a lot of people. I love London. Love, always have done, always will do. Uh, it was great. And operating a train service into London, when you stand in those days, when you stood on the end of the platforms in Liverpool Street and watched the trains come rolling in, and you actually realise then how many lives you are affecting mm. when you don't get it right, when there's a thousand people getting off a train and walking towards you and you're running trains into Liverpool Street, you know, every minute, you're realising how many people are relying on you to do your job right and it really does focus you to make sure that your your operational performance and your customer service is is bang on right now it was interesting because great eastern was a fantastic operating railway but basically didn't do a great amount for its customers and when i went in there i said i said to the team i said look I said we're great at operations <laughs> let's keep that going but we need to look after our customers what do we need to do so I said to a lot of people, go away, come back and tell me what you need to do to increase our national passenger service survey scores for customers. I said, I want to make a big, big difference into that because we've got to look after our customers. Anyway, after a bit of to-in and fro-in, they all agreed that um, it was a fresh approach, it was a new approach, and they were happy to do it. And we went away and, and they, they came back with plans that eventually we were aiming to deliver sort of like five to 10% improvements in a relatively short space of time. And that meant spending money at it. I don't mind spending money because in those days, the franchise, and if you attract more customers, it pays for itself. It's, it's not rocket science. Yeah. So we, we did that. And I'm pleased to say that within well, just under two years, we became Rail Operator of the Year. We were always good at operations. Wow. To become real operator, you need, you need the whole suite. And, and we achieved real operator of the year in 2000. In fact, um, there it is. Oh, I've my goodness, there it is. Fantastic. 
there, there's the trophy. But uh, but that was great, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. But we 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 then because of the franchise process, um, we didn't get listed for the Greater Anglia or the Anglia franchise, um, and which was a, a real downer for me. I wasn't part of the bid team, but to be fair, the bid team had, had gone through the process, put it in, but the SRA, as it was then, said, sorry, you're not shortlisted. So I was dragged out of uh, Great Eastern back to, to bus. Um, I became the operations director for the UK's bus division, then had HR added on to that title. Uh, Nicola Shaw came in mm. and uh, took over um, our bus division. She made me her deputy and then the COO. And then when Nicola moved on, I was offered the position of running the UK for first group, but it would have meant a move to Aberdeen. Um, and I said, no, I said I'd do it, but I wasn't going to Aberdeen. I'd a, you know, I was married again yeah. on, to, my, to my last wife. <laughs> <laughs> So my, my my current and yeah. never be let me let me quantify. But, um, no, no, Dave. Oh, so, Have you brought that to her? <laughs> but, but no. So Joe was working between Manchester and London, yeah. and Moya was expecting me to go to Aberdeen, and I said no. I said because that's going to mean flying to London on a Monday, flying back on a Friday, and spending a weekend in a place where I'm miles away from my kids and my first from my first marriage. And I'd be miles away from my wife. I said, I've been divorced once. I'm not going to go there again. Yeah. You know, and so I, I took the, the tough decision to resign. Um, Dean Finch, another high profile individual I'd worked for uh, within rail um, at first group. He was the chief executive of National Express. And he rang me and said, I hear you're a bit hacked off. He said, would you like to run my bus division? And I said, yeah, of so I would. So I... Um, I joined National Express. Um, I ran the bus division for well, just over 12 months, but it, it wasn't for me. Um, and I've always said to everybody that works for me, when the bad days outnumber the good days, it's time to think about moving on. So I followed my own advice. And there's nothing against National Express. National Express, great company, good people. I, I, was, I was told that we would have investment but we didn't. And the investment went to different places. Completely get that. It went to America. Yeah. They could demonstrate more return on their capital. I wasn't getting new buses, but I was still expected to improve my margins significantly, which is difficult yeah. um, with older bits of kit. With new bits of kit, you can market it. With old bits of kit, it's difficult. So I was just, you know, I was disillusioned, really. Yeah. Um, and so I left. Um, set up a consultancy. Um, but in that time, I, you know, I, I did some work uh, in in Europe. Um, jo got pregnant. Um, she was um, director yeah. at Network Rail, um, and she was very close to getting on the board. And we made a concerted decision that you know we weren't going to have a nanny. So uh, Jo was going to go back to work after her maternity leave, and I was going to become basically house husband and look after Josh. Yeah. Um, and she was going to try to get on the board. And if she'd not got on the board within a certain time frame, then she might consider stepping back and I step back in. But yeah. I ran my consultancy, but I, it was it was a token gesture consultancy, if I'm being honest. I was more interested in developing a, a small boy into being a you know an, an all-round person. Yeah. So it was great spending that time with a young child doing that. 
I did do bits of work, but it was only bits of work for specific clients on my terms. I said, I'm going to take him to nursery, then I'll come and work, and then I'm going to pick him up from nursery. And if that doesn't suit you, then too bad. Fine, find somebody yeah. else. But to be fair, most of the people that, that I did work for fully understood that, and they were they were buying me. Yeah. Um, and not anything else. So, so and you know, I like to think I did a good job for them. But that was good. And then Joe stepped out. Um, and me being an old man, she said, she said, Wait, are you gonna go back to work again? And I said, Well, yeah, kind of, but nobody's gonna want anybody my age. So I put a few feelers out. I put a few feelers out, and then I got a phone call from Dominic who said, um, I've got a few issues in my businesses. What would it take to get you back in the game? And I said, Look, I said, I want a challenge. And I want a good offer. Yeah. So he, he, he said, well, he said, I can certainly give you the challenge. He said, and I'll I'll make you an offer that I hope you can't refuse. And yeah. um, so when it came through, I was I was more than happy. So in January 2020, I stepped back through the door as COO for um, Abelio. And I've loved every minute of it, being, certainly being back in the rail industry, because the rail industry is a fantastic industry. Public transport is great fun. Yeah. I've said why I do it because I'm an operator and I want to make things happen and I want to see differences and I want to see things improve. But but it is it is good coming back. And particularly into, you know, I start in January 2020 and then in March 2020, we're in lockdown with a pandemic and the whole world changes. Yeah. But you've still got to deliver what you're supposed to deliver. So my my role at Abelio, I've got the, well, we had five talks when I started, but we've just... Scott Rail's gone back to Scottish government because the end of the franchise came and we didn't get the extension. That's fine. That's their decision. Wish them all the best of luck on delivering that. But we've got East Mids, Greater Anglia, Mersey Rail and West Midlands. Um, so the, the top director, the managing directors report through to me. And my role is basically all about performance, customer service, making sure the resources are in the right place. And now we're in the national rail contracts. It's all about delivering the contract management aspect um, and maintaining performance because it is very highly specified on on performance criteria so it's lower margins than we were used to in franchising but you can still make money providing that you deliver good customer service all the time and that means working with network rail um, doing all the planning looking forwards making sure that we've got everything in the right place to to deliver and when there's a problem it's finding the solution and finding the solution quickly mm. so um so that's what's about i mean the, the thing that i really enjoy is the people working with different people um and seeing people and i think for me at my time of life it's about whilst trying to deliver my job putting something back as well and trying to de- identify good people develop good people mm. put structures in process where we've got the succession planning where people can come through yeah so you know it's a people are a big part of our industry and they're certainly a big part of my role and and you know i like to think that i'm a relatively good people person but it is about just it's that competitive edge and and being the best i think it goes back to a lot of my sporting um you know past that you know there's a will to win there's a desire to win you get beat you've got to understand how to lose yeah. You've got to understand how to lose, but, but there's no better feeling than, than winning. And businesses like sport, you know, there, there are winners, there are losers. If you if you if you stay solvent, you're a winner. If you don't stay solvent, then you're going to go bust and and bye bye. And somebody's got to be top of the league, and somebody's got to be bottom of the league. And the thing that floats my boat is watching my tops move up that league. I mean, yeah. we've got 
We've got number one and number three in the UK rankings with Mersey Rail and Greater Anglia. West Midlands are doing a really good job of moving up that table and East Midlands are, are doing the same. So it's nice having that sort of like internal competition to sort of like, come on, come on, yeah, come on, let's yeah. do it. We can do better. How, how do we make that improvement? That, you know, it's that little improvement, but a lot of little improvements do drive performance a long, long way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that... Um, that that having the tangible having tangible results because it is hard it's been it's become harder obviously over the last yeah. two and a bit years so um so certainly when you issued that um that to dominic in terms of i want a challenge and i want a good offer then you certainly got the challenge within three months of landing in the seat so my goodness you know the last the last couple of years have been intensely difficult so but to have those measures that you can continue to motivate the teams with because we we are improving we're seeing improvements and even if they are small i think it was um it was dave, dave brailsford did a, a documentary it was, yeah. Yeah. talking about these tiny tiny incremental differences that actually if you just get that that tiny one right enough of the tiny ones actually actually makes a real yeah. difference at the end and it's no, absolutely really clear that all the way through that um that potted history that you've just shared with us that people are a key theme what also strikes me is the number of um it's like railway history in terms of the people it's the who's who of the transport industry some of the names of the people that you've worked with because i'm still relatively a new girl so i'm kind of nine and a bit years into the the rail industry but i've heard all these names i've met some of them but i've heard these names and and i think having the opportunity to work with some of these really big characters will have obviously helped you to shape your own leadership um style and how you want to develop people and how you want to work with people and presumably some of the people you've worked with uh, you want to say yeah i'm going to take some of that style because i want that in in my personal portfolio and presumably some of them will have been the opposite of that and say well i never want to do it like that because i don't think that feels good on the receiving end you're, you're right i mean you, you you do learn a lot from from everybody that you work with and you, you know you can see traits that you don't want to pick up and traits that you do. But I think the important thing for me is, and for everybody is, you've got to take little, the good bits that you want to take from people, um, you can take, but you've got to adapt them to your style and it's got to be your style. You can't be anybody else. Um, I can't be Dominic Booth. I can't be Ray O'Toole. I can't be Dr. Mike. But what I can do is pick the bits that I like from them and adapt it in, into my style, but remain Dave K. Yeah. So, I think, you know, everybody's got their own comfort zones in whatever walk of life that they're in. Um, and it's about bringing the tools of the trade and, you know, and, and the, the styles in, into your comfort zone and then just pushing and pushing and pushing to try. And I'm, I'm one of those people that wants to constantly expand their comfort zone. Mm. And, and I don't think I've ever been classed as a, as a shrinking violet or shiny <laughs> type. But, but it, it, is, it is about how you how you take the various good bits and, and, and bring it in to, to try and just improve yourself yeah. um, and make your style the, the, a comfortable style for people to be with. Now, listen, I'm a Yorkshireman. I'm blunt. I'm forthright. I like to think I'm very constructive. Um, 
there's no point trying to destroy something if you can do it in a sensible way. So, I mean, it is it is about how you deal with people because mm. people need to, again, the simple Yorkshireman, it, it needs, for me, it needs to be simple so that it's not, it's, it's unambiguous. There's, there's no, uh, uh, Nina, I want you to do this and that and that. Do you understand what I want you to do? Fine, let's get out and do it. If I can help you, I will do. Let me know. But, you know, in, in, in every industry, bad news travels slowly. Mm. So it's about making sure that, and if something does go wrong, stop. Turn around, come back, and let's have the chat rather than thinking we've gone past the point of, of no return. But, um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, you know, and I've seen some bad traits in my time as well. And I've thought I'm never, ever, ever going to behave like that because, mm. you know, everybody deserves to be treated with respect. Um, and, and it is, again, because we're in a people business, it's all about, you don't you don't want to be popular you don't want to be liked but there is a thing about you do want to be respected yeah um you can you can be disliked but respected which is fine i mean i everybody human beings want to be liked and respected but yeah. i think for me the respect thing is is the key one mm. um because sometimes people won't like the message but at least they're getting the message and they respect yeah. you for giving the message in the way that you do yeah, absolutely so, i think yeah. there's, there's a couple of things kind of popping in my head from what you've you've just been saying one of the one of them is i think that of all of the people that i've met in the industry one of the words that i would use to describe you from the from the very first conversation that we had is authentic and this is a it's a word which is kind of a bit of a trendy buzzword recently and and wasn't used you know in the past but i guess where you and i come from in the north we would say what you see is what you get and for me that's you because you are who you are and and you know and that works because you you are very much a people person and you care about people and you care about the winning part but the other bit that comes through to me as well is this ability to there's a great saying that, that I use a lot personally, which is that you win some, you learn some. So, yes, of course, we want to win. Of course we do. We want to kind of get, get up to the top of the league table, but it doesn't happen all the time. But when it does, when, when we don't win, what are we learning from it? And that's another trait of yours, I think, is kind of, you know, so, okay, what's it teaching us then? No, thank you. Thank you. But I, I think the other thing that I like to do as well is, and everybody that's ever worked for me will say that um, we do it with a smile on our face because it's there to be enjoyed. Yeah. Um, and it, and it, you, whatever you do, you want to have a bit of fun about it. There's times when it's deadly serious. I get that. But, you know, there are a lot more times where you can turn around and have a smile and a bit of a laugh and a bit of banter about it and just yeah. sort of recognise what you've done. And, yeah. and I've always said celebrate success. Yeah. Absolutely. Celebrate success because, you know, it, it, it's a great thing. People get... People very rarely pat people on the back, and I like to pat people on the back. If I, if I need to tell somebody it's wrong and we need to do it a different way, I'm quite happy having that conversation. But I think there are very few people that actually turn around and say, well done, that was a really, really good job. Let, let's look yeah. at that. And we've done a great job. We've delivered a great result, so well done, everybody. Because mm. it becomes accepted, and, and the people that say, well, that's what you get paid for. Yes, it is what you get paid for, but it's still nice to have a pat on the back because it hasn't cost me a penny. Yeah, yeah. It didn't cost me anything, but people go away thinking, Dave Kay's just said well done to me and pat me on the back. And you can see the spring yeah. in the step and such. Yeah. And, and I like people to pat me on the back and say well done as well. So it's, you know, it's a nice thing for, for everybody to hear. Well, we like to be seen, don't we? We like to be noticed. 
And even though if you've got a high standard of delivery, a high standard of performance yourself as an individual, you're you're doing the best that you can do. And that comes, you know, comes naturally, doesn't necessarily mean it's always easy. But it's nice to be recognised for doing that and nice to know that you've been seen by somebody who, um, you know, is in a in a, a leadership position that, oh, gosh, well, you've noticed me. It's a good feeling. There's, there's so much. And, and you know, we, we know from our previous conversations that we can talk for hours about this stuff. And, and, I, and I love talking to you. Um, let's move on from having having kind of gone through your career history and there's so much more I want to ask you but we've got a confined um, amount of time on the podcast so we're going to to move into the next part and I'm kind of fascinated because you've seen so much change so far in your career um, there will be some some constants running through that in terms of things that that haven't changed that much and maybe needed to or not as the case may be as we move into what is a massive period of change and transformation, and, you know, I wasn't around in the industry during privatisation, but a number of people have said to me, what we're going through now is, is bigger than that was, and that was big. If I can give you three wishes, Dave, for what you want to see as part of that change and transformation in this industry, what would they be? Um. Good question. I think for where we are now at this moment in time, I think the industry is is well teetering on a, a cliff edge almost because you know we've got an affordability issue. Um, the costs are still there. The revenue is now in a different shape. So I think my three wishes for what we need to do for the for the future and it's the near future is first we've got to stand GBR up quickly. It's got to happen. It's that's what Williams and Shapps recommended. Um, it's been talked about for a long time, but it's it's really really slow progress. And I think we need that guide in mind. Uh, my second wish is to to sort of like play to the strengths, and that's to to GBR. Let's find a common sense solution to everything because there's the argument about has the private sector failed? No, it hasn't. You know, look at the revenue line across rail. It's been fantastic. That's been done through entrepreneurship. The private sector has a role to play in whatever goes forward. So does the public sector. But there's got to stop being an us and them mentality and a almost like a Knights of the Round Table. Sit down, round a table, and let's find a solution to what we what we need to get the industry back on its feet mm-hmm. and let's make it happen. And, and that's going to be done through PSCs. We're, we're in, we've been through franchising. We're now on national rail contracts. We've got the passenger service contracts that are coming forward. That's got to be done sensibly. We've got to stop micromanagement of the contracts and creating um, an administrative nightmare. Nightmare. And I think like, there's got to be a contract, but it's got to be sensible. We've got to avoid a race to the bottom. Um, you look at the industry. We've lost stagecoach out of rail. We've lost national express out of rail. We could lose other players if they don't get it right. So I think it's really, really important that there is that balance um, and that the sensible people sit around a table and, and actually make it happen for the good of the industry. And I, and I do think that when my phrase that that sticks out, we, we desperately have to avoid a race to the bottom because someone will do it. Um, but we're in serious danger of losing a lot of knowledge out of the industry if we don't get it right, because someone might come along and bid, x percent lower than one company but 
have they got the ability to actually deliver what they're expected to do? And I think we've got to make sure that PSCs don't lose good people, lose people with, with in, in our organisation, we've got hundreds of years worth of knowledge. Yeah. And if we stepped out, all that knowledge disappears as well. Mm. And, and that would create a vacuum in the industry. So, so that's kind of like my three wishes for, for the very near future. Yeah. And, and all very pertinent. And I think so, um, so many of the conversations that I've, I'm having and have been having for the, the kind of recent past um, is about we, once we'd got the William Shapps plan for rail, which is almost a year ago, I think it was the 15th of May last year that it came out. It was certainly kind of middle of May. So we're almost at the one year anniversary. And, and I think that, as I say, the conversations that I'm having at the moment tend to kind of agree with what you've just said, Dave. Let's do it quickly. And let's and and progress is being made, but as much communication about that progress as possible would be appreciated because the perception could be that it's slower than we'd like it. And it might not be. There might be stuff happening, but it's not kind of always very visible. There might, there might, but I mean if you look at you know the projective of PSCs, and I know you know other owning groups have gone out and said we don't like them as they are, um, and nor do we. And I think the risk and the reward has to be balanced and there's got to be incentivization in there. Because if I were to say to you, Nina, here's 100 units where I can deliver 100 units. You take 90 and leave 10 with me. Mm. You're getting 90 more than you had a minute ago. What's mm. not to like about that? And I'm getting 10 of those units, mm. but you get the 100 in perpetuity going forwards. And I, I think, you know. That's where the private sector's role is on bringing that entrepreneurship and the and the value added to it. Because you know, look at look at you know GDP. We need to get GDP back locally. We need to get GVA back. And and I think the sooner we crack on and do it, the better. And I think the other the other thing that frustrates me is there's a massive focus on cost. Always has to be. Yeah. There's, you know, I, I am a cost boy from 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 youth. Um, Yorkshire, Dave, you wouldn't be anything else, would you? Absolutely. <laughs> You're right, but there needs to be a focus on revenue as well. You know, we've we've got to maintain that revenue line. You know, leisure travel's taking off, um, commuters are coming back to different habits. Who's managing that? Because mm. that's been taken away from the talks at the moment. And I know we've got a lot of very clever people sitting around looking at fares, tickets and retail, but it's happening now and we need to be on top of it now, not yeah. thinking about months and years ahead it's now absolutely and also about the massive percentage of the population who doesn't use the railway so i was blown away the other day i think it was um an article in rail magazine i was reading and it said that seven percent of the population use the railway Mm. bloody hell right so we've got 93 percent to go at then because we've been talking about you know after after the pandemic and the the kind of the issues that we've had there with with the loss of revenue bringing bringing passengers back and it's kind of absolutely yes we need to bring passengers back but how about the people who weren't passengers or customers in the first place how do we attract those and there's so much to go at with that isn't there decarbonisation, the green agenda and everything. I mean, you know, you, you take a you know, hundred cars, 
take a hundred people out of a hundred cars and it'd fill a train carriage. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, we run multiple, multiple carriages for what's not to like, but we've, you know, it's all about that latent demand and how we market ourselves mm. um, and try and get, we've, we've got to give people a service that they want to come back and use time after time. Yeah. Um, so it is all about getting, getting, you know, making people aware and then selling our wares because we don't have a captive audience we're doing certain locations but it's about trying to persuade people don't use planes use a train long distance mm. don't commute into your local city use a train but it's yeah. making sure that we're providing the right level of service um to make sure that it's more attractive to use the train than it is to use a car so i think there is a long way to go but i think if we look at the green agenda and what we could do to to add value we've got a great product that we need to really really sell well Mm, absolutely and we we could be better at that um thank you i could again i could i could go on and ask there's so many more questions i want to ask you so we'll we'll have to save that for another time but i'm going to to bring our this conversation to a close um in again time honored fashion for for my intuitive insights podcast and ask you to leave us with a quote dave please for something that um that's meaningful for you that maybe it motivates you maybe it inspires you or maybe it just keeps you right in terms of what you're focusing on so if you could um if you could share a quote with us um as the kind of final part of our conversation this morning i'd really appreciate it yeah, that's no, fine. And it, the, the date will always stick in my head because it was the 19th of March, 1986, when I had a little calendar on my desk and it used to have a quote at the bottom of every one. And this quote has stuck with me since that day. And, and it, it's one that I truly, truly believe in. And that is, you know, th there are two types of people in the world, those that talk about it and those that do it. Absolutely. And for me, for me, it's all about the doing bit. Yeah, absolutely agree with you 100%. Um, Dave Kay, Chief Operating Officer for Rail for Abellio, thank you so, so much for agreeing to join me on my virtual couch and have this conversation today. Um, I knew I would enjoy it. I love chatting to you. I find uh, your career history really interesting and your point of view always fascinating. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Nina. I've enjoyed it too. Great talking to you. Take care. Cheers. Thanks. My huge thanks to Dave for sharing his thoughts and insights in the only way he knows how, which is in a definite what you see is what you get fashion. Thank you, Dave.